Hello, my name is Brian Martin and you are listening to episode 11 of season 3 of the Running Technique Tips podcast, the season where we're talking all things cross-country and road racing and training. And Lisa, one of us at least has actually now done a road race. One of us is actually running, so... Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, dear. I know. I- hang on, hang on. I think we left the last episode with me signing off with something like, I hope you're not going to break. <laughs> yeah, you literally predicted. Um, I think anyone could have predicted probably what was going to happen in my, I don't know, bout of stupidity in the beautiful Byron Bay training like a lunatic. <laughs> After having um, a fair bit of time off, I did not ease back into it. So... Yeah, look, I, I just the cough again, but more so, I can't remember if I said this the last time that we um, spoke, but back along that shin. Mm. So I, I actually, I managed to get in a 60 minute run and it was really odd because, so this is now nearly two weeks ago, got in the 60 minute run on the Tuesday, felt fine, had been chatting to you a little bit and pretty much decided that I was going to spend like the next four weeks just gentle, easy jogging. Uh, I know that you have done in the past, and I can't remember the name of it, six days of 60 minutes of jogging. The Satan's Program. The Satan, that's it. In my, I actually started to Google it and I was calling yeah. it the Devil's Program. Um, <laughs> I was getting a few random things pop up that was not in line with what I was looking for, but that's it, Satan's. Uh, So I I want to commit to that, but (laughs) I managed to get out one day and I just woke up on the Wednesday and the pain, like you know when there's a difference between just like, oh, this is a little bit sore and I should stretch it out versus something's wrong. Yep. Yeah, yep. so I sort of had the something's wrong, but I had an appointment with my physio on the Friday and went in to see her and she sort of said, oh, it, it, it's fine, but you need to be very careful because if this keeps pulling, it will turn into a shin splint possible stretch mm-hmm. fracture. So. Uh-oh. Yeah, so it's just, again, my like my hip was out and my ankle was in a funny position, you know, having – the body in that position and then doing all that training just really put too much stress on. So I have been incredibly sensible and I've only jogged once, which was yesterday for 30 minutes. And the rest of the time I've either been in the pool, in the gym. And I actually had completely forgotten how much I like the elliptical trainer. Have you ever Mm -hmm. been on one? I have, yes. Yeah, so I completely had forgotten about it, which is quite silly because they're in every gym. But when I was rehabbing after my hip surgery, I spent more time than I wish to acknowledge on the elliptical trainer and maybe this is why I'd forgotten about it. (laughs) And I jumped back on it and I realised I actually do enjoy it and it can be quite tough, like not just, you know, how you often see people just on it meandering along like I was pushing it you can see your pace on it I did a little tempo on it the other day pain-free so I'm I'm feeling pretty fit but I just have to get the body right Mm -hmm. so that's where I'm at one run two weeks 30 minutes (laughs) very good um or not very good but did the physio sort of give you any guidelines for returning to running uh no and 
I didn't really ask and I didn't really need them because I, I, I knew what I'd done. I was just plain stupidity. So what I am going to do is um, attempt, you know, just every second day and no more than 20 or 30 minutes and just sort of see how that goes until I build up and effectively have no pain. So I don't actually have any pain today and I ran yesterday on my 30 minutes. So that is a really good sign. So lay off it today. I'll jump in the pool this afternoon and hopefully can get back out there for just an easy 20 or 30 minutes tomorrow. Sounds good. Yeah. Um, yes, a slow and conservative return to running. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's funny. Um, I do genuinely feel actually quite fit. Like I, yeah, I mean, I'm not cross-count training and just um, dawdling along on the bike. You know, I am definitely putting a lot of effort in. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm just, yeah, I, I'm actually feeling quite fit. So hopefully I can get the body healthy and then can turn that into actually being out there running and racing again because I'm getting a little bit jealous of uh, of you and your improvement. <laughs> <laughs> surprising but but perhaps not surprising improvement. I yeah, is, yeah, um, yeah. Well, why don't you talk about it? Like we can actually talk about a race here. <laughs> sure, why not? Well, um, why don't I just do a quick recap of what I've done running-wise since we last recorded and I think we – I told the listeners what we'd done up until the Saturday, the 20th of July, I think was the, yep. the date that we hit the record button last night. Bit of mm-hmm. a delay in getting the episode out, so I apologise for that. That was that was me struggling to find the time and energy to do some editing. And I think I left us with, I hadn't yet done my Sunday long run and I was predicting I was going to cover at least two hours on the Sunday and that's what happened. So I did a little loop ahead of my forest loop that I've been doing out at the Dalesford High Performance Centre and just added on like another 4K essentially um, to that run that I've been doing. So I ended up running for two hours or just under two hours and 19 minutes and covered 26 kilometres. That's massive. Why are you doing yeah. such long runs at the moment actually? Are you trying to conquer the fear or are you just enjoying it? Just enjoying it but also just mindful of getting myself prepared for the for the marathon um, later in the year. So I want to make sure I've done quite a few runs of at least two hours and I've got quite a few of those in the bank now that I've done over the last few months and now just looking to occasionally drop in a, a longer one to give me a little bit more of that um, marathon fitness. And, yeah, I can tell you I was getting pretty tired towards the, <laughs> towards the end of that one. But nonetheless, finished it off feeling pretty good. And just to give you a bit of an idea of intensity, so for the entire two hours, 19 minutes, average heart rate was 140. But like for the first probably hour and 20 minutes, I was either under my aerobic threshold or only just slightly above it. So I really took the first hour 20 quite comfortably and easily Mm. and then um, just steadily worked my way up that big hill climb that I've talked about a couple of times and um, then just rolled along at a good solid pace for sort of like the last probably the last sort of six or seven k's so yeah if I kind of look down to some of my k splits towards the end I was rolling out 518 510 456 517 454 5 455 506 so you might remember I said I was going to try and finish off 
some of these longer runs with a little bit more pace. And yep. so I, I, I did that as well, um, even though I'd stacked on a little bit more distance um, on the on the front end of that one. And Are you enjoying doing that? Just yeah, like I am. Picking it along I'm, a bit quicker? Yeah, I mean, I'm enjoying finishing them off strongly rather than um, what I was doing was just slowing down if necessary to kind of stay aerobic on those really long runs. So I definitely move a lot better when I'm running a bit quicker. So just for yeah, enjoyment factor and probably not forgetting. It's not that I, I'm now picking up probably a little bit of DOMS here and there from some of those runs, mm. the delayed onset muscle soreness, which mm. isn't actually a bad thing. I'd actually prefer to have that than sort of getting those little hip uh, niggles that we've both had from time to time, which yeah. are yeah, the ITB type stuff. I tend to get that when I'm doing the the slow, the longer, slower, slower stuff. So do you think so, that's by quickening up the end um, mm. part of it? Because this is very interesting and relevant for me on a personal note. Do you yeah. think that's what's helping you to avoid getting that ITB soreness? Uh, look, I, I couldn't say conclusively. Um, I think it probably does help me because it sort of means in the last half an hour, 40 minutes of the run that I'm running a little bit more strongly mm. um, than what I otherwise would be if I was finishing those off at sort of five minute, five and a half or five forty-five kilometre pace. Um, my mechanics would be different and I'd possibly be loading up some of those areas yeah. a little bit more um, and getting a little bit more movement um, as well, which could be potentially stressing some of those tissues down the ITB, whereas if I'm running a bit faster, I'm probably, you know, legs are a tiny bit stiffer, probably a little bit more stable. Interesting. Uh, This is a little while ago when I went to see my physio. She actually said to me, she's like, maybe you are running too slow on those Mm. longer runs. And it was sort of a comment that I didn't really, you know, I didn't really mull on it for for that long but now when you're saying this and i have been discussing you know considering doing some of my sunday runs as a bit of a session Mm. more than just slow plotting because i have been getting into trouble like that's the one thing that's been causing me uh you know effectively stopped me um and trying to get through that Mm. marathon training but i guess you've got to be a bit careful with it because i've been thinking well if i do the sunday a bit quicker because i can tack on to the back of the boys group I can't really then go and do a Tuesday session and a Thursday no. session. So I've been considering actually just training on a Thursday and a Sunday. <clears throat> yeah. Um, I think that's sessions. good. And you are thereby there following the Julian Spence regime that I heard him talking about on the Inside Running podcast recently. So he was saying for some of those longer, harder Sunday runs that he will actually move his session back to th- Thursday, if necessary, oh, well, fully recover. I, I didn't actually, um, <laughs> I didn't actually hear that. But yeah, mm. I've just been throwing around some ideas on a piece of paper. Uh, given I've had some time since I'm not running, and mm-hmm. uh, and I think also just looking at some areas of weakness. And I know that you're going to go into the recap of your your race on the weekend, but mm-hmm. you've been adding in a few more tempos. Yeah, and I, I, I think that I'm, I'm being really careful to call them threshold runs yeah, rather than. Yeah tempos just yeah. for the sake of clarity and we maybe we can talk about that later as well like just working at a heart rate rather than thinking about a particular tempo pace which people often talk about doing a marathon pace tempo yeah i've just been working on staying sub aerobic threshold well i think it's that oh, sorry anaerobic threshold i think myself there. you know there's been um talk or or things thrown around like moderate running as well so not just easy and not just hard but like the the, the concept of moderate 
running. And I don't mind that. Like if you're doing a bit of a quicker Sunday run like you're doing, you're still doing the, the distance, but then you are adding in, I'm sure your heart rate's not absolutely redlining, but it is no, elevated not. a little bit. So it's still in a nice zone, but you are working a lot, you know, moderately harder than just easy running. What's happening actually is really I'm doing a combined long and threshold run in the same in the same session, and I've been very very careful to not try and do additional sessions during the week. Like in some weeks that that might, that's my only session, so <laughs> um, that's why I can kind of get away with it a little bit. Perhaps um, when maybe if I was trying to do a lot of bunch of other stuff during the week, as indicated, that would potentially get you into trouble yeah and the way i'm running them is i'm being really careful to be relaxed early on like that run that i just described first you know five kilometers were like 605 545 529 548 543 559 going up a hill there but just slowing down so 541 555 so like the first 8k you know pretty pedestrian kind of comfortable pace well I'm um, assuming that's all just keeping my heart rate really nice and low um, and staying in kind of fat burning mode for as long as possible so that when I pick up the pace later on um, I've still got some some money in the bank to spend yeah I'm assuming you're sort of rolling out of bed effectively and and running like you're not doing a, a warm-up and stretches and etc no. so that first... no, the, the, the warm-ups to walking the dog yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so getting out like i i honestly don't know how people and i have got people that i run with they kind of go from zero to sub five minute k's within the first k i physically cannot do that um, no me neither it's very bad yeah i just i physically can't do that so i'm just not built like that but uh, hey look don't a lot of the africans run similar to how you just started your yep. run Yep, they probably start their first K even slower. And I can tell you during the last week or so, I've done some of those really early runs before my commute and the first kilometre has been like 6.30 kilometre pace. (laughs) (laughs) So if you need to start just above walking pace um, or a nice easy pace to get moving, that's what you have to do. Yeah, you run a bit faster when you need to or you want to later on. So anyway, that was my long run and maybe we'll – Maybe after I do the race recap, we might circle back and talk about that kind of thresholdy stuff that I've been adding in. Because although I've been a bit random with my training, I have sort of got a little formula, at least in the back of my mind, that I'm sort of working towards. Um, I'm just applying it in a f- very flexible way, which will also be an entree to talking about Zane Robinson, which we said we were going to do this episode too. So last, so that meant that the week before the Lake Wendery road race. I actually did about 57 kilometres wow. um, for the week, which was a pretty big week for me recently because the week before that I'd done 41, then it was 43, then it was a 52, and there's a 43 and a 38. So, look, I haven't really been doing a huge amount of mileage, so probably averaging just slightly more than 40 kilometres a week, which is obviously not a lot. And, you know, remember last year probably averaging between probably 70 to 80 Ks a week. Yeah, wow. So, yeah, I'm probably doing slightly more than half of what I was doing last year, but the, the mix of training has certainly changed changed a bit from what I was doing last time when I was mostly doing um, easy aerobic running, which brings me into race week, which was between Monday the 22nd and Sunday the 28th. And I was pretty conscious that week of the fact that I'd done that really 
that 26k run and I was a bit beat up from that so I actually didn't run on Monday and Tuesday I just took those off I'm pretty sure I did gym on one of those days because I wanted to stimulate some recovery definitely finding doing a bit of lifting even if you've got a bit of doms just very it's very helpful for, for recovering quickly and we kind of spoke a bit about some of those sort of hormone responses and getting things moving so definitely a recommended thing for recovery and all I did during the week was two 30-minute runs, one on Wednesday and one on Thursday, and they were both about 5Ks. So how's this for polarized training? Um, compared to my long run finishing off at sub five-minute K pace, my Wednesday 30-minute plod was at 5.46 kilometer pace average. Nice, easy heart rate, 123 heart rate average. And what did I do on Thursday? Same thing, did about 5Ks at 5.45 kilometer pace. So the only running I did in the during the week was two 30-minute jogs. And then I just took Friday off completely because I thought I might as well be fresh for the road race on the Saturday. And that brought brought us to Saturday. And uh, I did have a listen before to Julian Spence talking about his race experience on the Inside Running podcast. And he was commenting on the fact that a 2.30 start time is an awkward time to race based on just timing when you're going to eat. Yeah. And I, I did a few things wrong in the lead up in this race that <laughs> probably would have potentially led me to not having a good result, but I ended up having a good result anyway. And, and one of those was I just got sidetracked with all my Saturday morning jobs and chores and just didn't get around to having some lunch early enough. So I think I finished my lunch at about sort of like quarter to one and that's sort of nowhere near early enough to kind of fully digest all of your food. So I've, I must admit when I arrived at Lake Wendaree and I was running a bit late, as is my habit, um, <laughs> that I was still feeling my lunch sort of in my stomach and, um, yeah, I was sort of a little bit worried about how that might play out during the race. Like would I get an upset stomach or would I have a stitch? And yeah. I'm just so so used to running on an empty stomach first thing in the morning um, or having had a coffee or something that, yeah, it was quite a – it was a bit of an unusual, unnerving feeling to uh, – to know that your lunch was still kind of hanging around there. Yeah, I must admit it's something that I'm used to and it's probably a bit different in today's era where you've got park run and there is a fun run on pretty much every day of every weekend everywhere. But I grew up on the Saturday afternoon running staple. So having done you know years and years of the Athletics Victoria um, series, running as a junior, that's all run in the Saturday afternoon. So mm. I find the... I still find today like the park run time slot and the Sunday morning fun runs just an absolute shock to my system where <laughs> I just revel in the delight of an afternoon Saturday run. <laughs> yeah, uh, I've just become such an early morning animal these days that I find it a bit uh, a bit strange. Um, uh, anyway. I'm a seal in the morning, so. <laughs> Very good. So, yeah, I arrived late and I ran into Ballarat, one of Ballarat's running stalwarts, um, Frank Shevlin, he was out marshalling on the course and kind of looked at me a bit strangely and he goes, God, you're going to miss the start. <laughs> and I looked down at my watch and I'm thinking, oh, I've still got kind of like 12 minutes to get over to the start line. Um, but I probably didn't realise that I was at least 1,500 metres away from the start, so I did have to kind oh, of no. um, not, not run quickly, but I had to kind of, you know, jog with a bit of purpose to yeah. uh, 
make it over to the start line. So, um, yeah, I was kind of laughing to myself about how I'd kind of done everything wrong in the lead up again, eating at the wrong time and not giving myself much of a warm up and um, all of the things that I've been doing um, that we've been speaking about. So in the end, I did actually make it into the at the start line area as they were just kind of marshalling up the runners and then they sort of held us there for probably about five minutes. So, yeah, I did actually have plenty of time to get there, which was which was good. And Hang on a second. Of, plenty of time. No warm up. <laughs> no stretches. No strides. <laughs> Your plenty of time and my plenty of time are very different. <laughs> Yeah, I think you're right. No, there wasn't any strides. There wasn't any stretches. Um, I'd run probably about a mile oh, warm up. <laughs> so I'd done a ten minute jog. So I thought that was that was okay, given given it was a fifteen k race and I wasn't going to be uh, going off at a super breakneck speed. Given actually, one thing I was going to say was I positioned myself towards the back of the field again, and um, Athletics Victoria does use timing chips now in their races Mm. but the timing mats they only actually have them at the finish so if you're kind of at the back of the field as I'd sort of positioned myself towards the back of the mid pack because I'm a back of the mid pack kind of person you once the gun goes like you you basically do lose and I think I worked out the end of the race I probably lost about 10 or 11 seconds just getting over the line so my official time is probably about uh, yeah about 11 seconds slower than what I got on my watch because I started my watch as I actually went over the start line so yeah I was wondering why they couldn't kind of go the extra mile and put a timing mat at the start yeah I, that's I think, unusual most I yeah. think these days have, have both the, the start and the finish ones also just to show that you didn't cheat <laughs> yeah exactly and, uh, and, uh, and I think it would actually help with you know, people who are back of the mid-packers who are trying to hit a time, mm. it would sort of stop us, you know, pushing our way up towards the front and getting in the way of the some of the faster runners, which I know is annoying for them. Yeah. But, yeah, if you knew you had your timing mat there and you could just kind of cruise over the line and at your leisure, it might sort of make those starts a little bit less frenetic, yeah. which, which they tend to be. And let's be honest, it doesn't matter whether you're the fastest person or the slowest person. You still want yeah. your personal fastest time of the day. Exactly. And, yeah, look, it, didn't, it, it wasn't concerning to me because I wasn't going there trying to run a PB or a particular time. Like I just wanted a, a solid kind of thresholdy, comfortably hard kind of um, effort. So yeah, I wasn't too concerned by that. And yeah, I managed to uh, get my watch started as I went across. So I kind of had a, an, an idea of what I was going to end up with. But yeah, I agree with you. If I if I was trying to break an hour and that was my goal for the year and I lost four or five seconds getting across the start line on the official time, I'd probably be slightly annoyed by that. <laughs> anyway, so I think I said to you that I thought I could run 430 kilometre pace average because I'd been sort of doing that in some of my longer threshold runs. So sort of in the back of my mind, is I thought that that would be the pace that I would probably start at. And I didn't actually have pace on my watch. I just had my heart rate and the time of the of the run showing. So I kind of got out at what felt like a really kind of easy, comfortable pace and, you know, kind of dodging other runners through the first kilometre and dodging the cones in the middle of the road and trying not to run into oncoming traffic because they only close half the road. And when you've got, you know, probably 400 runners all squeezed into the into one lane of traffic, space was at a premium. So there was a little bit of dancing and jiggling through the first kilometre. And I was a bit surprised when I looked down at my watch and I saw the first K click over at 4.17 kilometre pace. And I actually thought maybe my GPS was malfunctioning because it felt <laughs> it felt quite 
comfortable. And, I, you know, I, I actually thought in my mind, I thought, oh, maybe I'm running just under five-minute kilometre pace here. But, yeah, 4.17 ticked over and I thought, no, oh, there must be a problem with the watch. And then there was like this odd thing that I had where when I saw the one kilometre mark, I think my watch said like 5.30. So it was either in the wrong spot or I looked at it after the turnaround because there's this little out and back section after the start where you just kind of do a loop so that you don't have to do three laps of the lake. So you do this kind of little loopy 3K bit at the start um, and then you do two two by six, which gives you a 15K for the race. But yeah, when I went past that marker, I was like, there was five something. And I thought there's something really weird going on here. And I didn't really get comfortable with what was going on until my second K ticked over and that was 4.15. And I thought, oh, well, that's consistent. And I'd feel like I'm running basically the same pace. And I kind of looked down at my heart rate and it was in the 150s. And I thought, right, I'm on here. Yeah. This is going well. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm ticking over it. 4.15 to 4.20 pace, it feels really comfortable. It feels really easy. I'm probably at least five beats under my, or probably more than that, probably at least five beats under 160, so well under my anaerobic threshold. So this is a race that's going to last about an hour. I thought, well, if it feels comfortable and it feels easy, then I'll just keep running at that pace. So that was kind of what I did through the first five or six kilometres. So, yeah, I had a, like a 4.17, a 4.15, 4.16, a 4.20 and then a 4.19. And early on I was kind of like, you know how you kind of get into little mini races with people yeah, yeah. when you're out on the road and this is sort of one of the benefits of road racing for trying to run good times is just having other people around you and as I'd sort of said because I sort of approached this race thinking I was going to be, run it a bit faster I was looking forward to having that in this race and yeah there was a number of people around me at various stages and uh, I think there's someone from your old club Keela St Bernard's was uh, running. I think John Condagonis was just. No no well early on uh, it wasn't because I finished quite close to John okay. he, I think he just edged me out actually but yeah there's another guy anyway and he, he was a he, quite a, a bit shorter than I than I am I'm about a six footer and this guy was you know maybe a five foot four kind of guy yeah. Um, but yeah I, I felt like I was taking like two strides for um, every three of his or something like that. So I was, and I was running quite comfortably, whether, whereas he was like really working quite hard and his cadence was really, really high. It must have been up above 190, I reckon. And I thought, I wonder how long this guy's going to be able to hold on to this pace. And I think he was with me until about probably about 7K. And at that point, I was still feeling pretty good and sort of seeing the paces not really drifting up much above 420 kilometre pace and I just basically at that point decided I'll, I'll just keep sort of pressing pressing on so I said to him and a couple of other people around me like I'm just going to go if you guys want to duck in behind me to get out of the wind like do so and you know I sort of committed to my it felt like speeding up but I think I was just running the same pace but yeah. they basically kind of dropped off at that point because yeah they were working a bit hard and getting to that sort of eight or nine k's in a 15k race it's sort of starting to get a bit real at that point so that was kind of having done that first little loop and then done a complete lap of the lake at that point i basically caught up to a couple of guys who were look like uh, veteran runners like me and they were going along pretty well so i thought i'll just tuck in with them for a while because they were they were running at about the same pace as me and then soon after that some sort of people came up from behind as well and so so this kind of like little back of the mid-pack group formed with probably about six kilometers to go in the race and that was just 
like gold for me because I thought, okay, for once here, I'm not going to be running by myself. I can just sort of switch off and sit in behind a couple of these guys. So that's basically what I did. And that group got rolling and was sort of, you could just sort of feel the pace increasing as we got closer and closer to the finish. And probably with about 3K to go, I was still feeling really good and I could see I could see another pack up ahead and I could see in that pack the tall figure of Hamish Beaumont. I don't know if you know Hamish. Oh, yes, He's Melbourne Uni. Melbourne University yep. uh, club stalwart legend. Yep. And, yeah, I thought oh, it would be good to uh, catch that pack and beat Hamish and, and not because he was Hamish but just because he was the t- <laughs> this tall <laughs> beacon that I could see up ahead. So, um, so I kind of took off at that point and tried to tack catch this pack up ahead and um, I dragged a few people from my pack with me. So they, uh, I suppose I'd got the benefit of sitting in on them and then they sat in behind me because that section was a little bit into the wind as well. Yeah, managed to pick up that pack ahead and then finish on quite strongly towards the finish. And yeah, I think I passed Hamish in maybe the last sort of 400 metres or something like that and finished off pretty strong for a... Well, let's say I think the official result was 63.31. I got 63.20 on my watch as I went over the line. But yeah, and in either case, still a pretty good run. Average of about sort of 4.15 kilometre pace for the 15K, which is pretty solid going. Like that's 90 minute half marathon pace, Lisa. Yeah, um, absolutely. Which, Look, when you told me that was your good. time, I'll be honest, I like, had to double check the time that you wrote <laughs> yeah. because I I was surprised, um, like really happy for you, but just didn't actually think, like you've had a few shockers, like let's be honest. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like I really think that this Sunday long run that you're doing, making it a bit quicker at the end, <clears throat> and then when you are doing some of your sort of sessions per se, you are doing these threshold type sessions that you've been saying, and I think it's working. I, yeah, I, I definitely definitely think it's working for me. And look, I should say maybe we'll, in another episode we'll do a bit of a recap of my random training. But yeah, it's it has been has been working. Haven't been doing those long runs every week, so sometimes that's every second week. Sometimes there might be two of them in a three-week period, but I've just kind of been doing them as I've felt like doing them rather than saying, well, I need to run two hours every Sunday. Yeah. Um, so being a bit more flexible, which, again, we'll speak a bit a little bit about later on. But yeah, I got my data up for the race on and just split it into 5K segments. And, uh, yeah, it's probably just a demonstration of fitness and that I'm going pretty well. The, the, the first 5K was 21.02. The second, you know, the middle's always a bit slower, 21.14. And the average heart rate for the first 5K was 154, which was obviously why it felt so comfortable because I've been doing lots of that kind of threshold running below 160 beats. And, you know, 154 is well inside my predicted threshold, which is probably about 160 or low 160s. So that was pretty comfy. And the second 5K, 21.14, average heart rate through that was 164. So it was starting to get up a bit. But during the run, when I was sort of like seeing 163s or 164s, it still felt super comfortable. So maybe that's a bit of data for me to thresh on that, uh, reflect on that maybe my threshold is about 163-ish because mm. that just felt 
felt pretty comfortable, pretty easy at that kind of pace. And last 5K and as with that with that back of the mid-pack group rolling along, the last 5K was actually 20.37, which is a pretty respectable 5K time. That's amazing. It's not far Just off. on its own. Yeah, what you'd been doing in some of the park runs when you've just done a singular park. That's right. So I think earlier in the year I ran that like 1952. Yep. So, yeah, it's not really that far behind that and that's – after having already run 10K. So I was pretty pleased to, to be able to finish off at kind of 407-ish average for the last 5K. Yeah. Can I just actually, I know how much you love Daniel's running formula. <clears throat> I do. And I do love it. I've just plugged it into my app and I've typed in your 15K time of 103.22 and it has given you a 5K prediction time of 1952 well there you go that's ironic it has estimated your half marathon at one hour 31 15 yeah i think that's about right at the moment yeah um, and i actually think it is too and look i think we've spoken about this before we, we think that the marathon prediction on here is a little bit aggressive very aggressive, um, but i'm going to yeah. tell you for confidence wise it Okay. Is giving you a three hour ten and seven seconds. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, that's a bit ambitious. Yeah, I'm thinking. I, I think that is a little bit aggressive. That one, but you know these formulas, they they do work. You know, looking from really that sort of half marathon down. Um, I can't remember what you did your three kilometers in. Uh, I think it was about eleven thirty or something like that. Well, this says eleven yeah. thirty. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, interesting. I like it. it. Is and look, I think you know, based on my strengths as a runner and previous results, I'd say at the moment I could probably run a faster five k than what that's predicting. Mm. I think I could probably run closer to nineteen thirty, and oh, yeah, I definitely couldn't run three ten for the marathon, but I would. I'm pretty sure if if that had been a half marathon on the weekend, I would have got pretty close to that 131 yeah. that it was predicting, given given how comfortable that sort of you know 415 to 420 pace was. Yeah, and I um, think for me early on, can we just take something else into account here? Mm-hmm. Your average is 40 kilometers a week training, and most yeah. of that is just gentle get out and run 30 minutes or 6Ks in six to six and a half minute Ks. So, you know, you're 63 minutes, you're not going off to the Olympics anytime soon in in a time like that. But, you know, for a recreational hobbyist, that's a bloody solid time. It is good time. Yeah. And look, it's only five minutes or so behind my PB, which I set or maybe slightly more than that. What is it? Oh, no, no, five and a half minutes or so um, off my PB, which I set when I was taking it really seriously and absolutely turning myself inside out. Yeah, yeah. and I think, yeah, that's the interesting thing yeah. because you've got so much going mm. on with your travel and your commute and your, your job. Mm. Um, to still pull performances like that, you know, I think that is very credible. And I think another thing that we need to look at is just the depth of the athletics. Victoria. Oh, yes. um, you know, the, the participation levels, they, I think from memory, I did have a look, uh, there was, yeah. you finished towards the, as you say, the, the back of the middle pack. Back of the mid, I was 256th <laughs> in the men's race yeah. out of 368 finishes yeah. um, for the men. Which um, is just incredible quality of yes. athletes that you're running against. Because if you were to extrapolate that time that you ran and popped it into, you know, an arbitrary fun run um, where they mm. You know, maybe 
thousand participants, you'd probably be in the top two hundred in that. Yes, <laughs> out of you know, uh, I think that's right. Uh, out of ten thousand, uh, so you know, it's a very high standard, incredibly like, no high doubt. standard. And you know, I think if people want to run a PB and they're you know they're they're okay for their ego to take a bit of a hit and not be in the pointy end, get down to one of those races because you will be surrounded with people who are you know, just as passionate and are genuinely trying to just do their best, mm. but it's still a very high standard. It is, it is. And, yeah, if you're lucky enough to, like I did, to um, get in with a nice little pack, when you've got veteran runners like that, they know how to run very evenly yeah. and they know how to run in a way that's going to allow them to finish off strongly. So just kind of going to school on what's happening around you. When I, when I saw those couple of guys ahead of me, I was just looking at them going, they look like the kind of guys that are going to be able to maintain this pace until the finish. Yeah. So I just kind of held myself back a bit from going past them. And I just thought, yeah, I'll just tuck in here for a while. And then when those other people sort of came and joined the group, it was it was just fantastic. Yeah. Because then I could just sort of switch off and just um, just follow the people in, in front of me. And uh, every, when my K's clicked over, I'd just check down and have a bit of a look and go, right, this is looking good. These guys are just going to run on strongly to the finish. Yeah, it's a really good point, actually, you say about how evenly and how well paced they are because for a female, when you get into those mixed races in the AV series, it, you are always surrounded by a large pack of men who pace evenly because, you know, running in those big fun runs, one of the most annoying things for, for me as a female who, you know, maybe in the sort of the sub-elite area is the erraticness of some of <laughs> the males who I end up being around who forget yep. that they're not quite as fit as they were and they're yes. pacing. And I know that I shouldn't let it annoy me, but, you know, when you're tired and you've got someone who's dropping off yep. and then coming back up to you, dropping off and coming mm. back up to you, it really um, it plays with my mind. But you're right, some of those um, veteran men are speedy and, you know, you can get into a beautiful rhythm. Definitely. So... I was a bit inspired after that, so I thought maybe maybe this is the the time to actually set a goal, Lisa, and give up my goal free no, running. I don't know um, if you should. <laughs> like I'm <laughs> I'm the person who writes lists and goals and is a bit O C D with that and you are just killing it with this carefree, you know <laughs> yeah, roll yeah. with the punches, don't do a warm up type of yeah. um thing. It really sort of works for you and it's an interesting one maybe for some reason like setting yourself goals and plans i don't know maybe you become so anxious without realizing it that you will just, you fall apart I, I don't know what goes on but you seem to just yeah who knows yeah <laughs> i'm not sure i think if what's the saying if it's not broken don't fix it yeah well that's right well how about how about i continue to do what i'm doing and then see how this approach evolves in terms of the kind of time that I can run for the half marathon in about probably about five weeks or so away, the Burnley half marathon. Yeah, it's not long. Um, mm. No, I think so. I think just keep just doing whatever your body says that you feel like doing on that particular day for training. Turn up and just approach the run. Like if you were to continue following sort of those 5K splits that mm. you were doing, how did you feel when you finished? Still pretty good. Pretty yeah, good, look, yeah. I was definitely working in the last couple of Ks, I deliberately worked a bit harder. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, I felt felt pretty good at the finish. A bit sore in the days following, um, which is to be expected. Probably in the latter stages of the run, I could feel my quads taking a little bit of a beating. And I think I messaged you during the week that I was sort of contemplating maybe going and trying to find a shoe with slightly more cushioning because I wore my um, 
Adidas Adios marathon racing shoes. Mm. And look, they were fine, but yeah, maybe 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 for those kind of road racy things it, it might be worth looking into something with slightly more cushion for me. Um, yeah, well if you look at the photos and you don't look at the people, you look down at the feet. <laughs> yeah. I think every runner, especially at the top end of the field, has uh, a pair of those Nike shoes on. And <laughs> I, I've i actually put on a pair. Of, my training partner bought a pair. She actually didn't end up racing in them. And they were a little bit foreign um, for me, which is some comments that people have made when they first put them on, but then they end up yeah. loving them. Uh, and I have not worn them or, or considered them since. So I'm curious to let you lead this <laughs> experiment, experiment um, yeah. and, and get back to me. But I do understand what you're saying around the, the quads. And I mean, you do all of your training on the soft, beautiful trails and then to plonk yourself yes. onto the roads. Um, yeah, it's a big difference. Mm. And look, you know, I'm doing some stuff on the roads during the week, but it's so slow and easy that yeah. um, it's not really simulating the same kind of pounding as what you get when you're running at 415 kilometer pace, as opposed to jogging along it between six and six, uh, sorry, six minute pace and 540 kilometer pace. So yeah, big difference on the, the kind of uh, loads and impacts that your and force that you're producing at those different speeds. Mm. So something to think about, but yeah, I think so my PB, I looked it up. It's now more than ten years old. This PB too, Lisa. Mm -hmm. um, the half is about one twenty eight thirty. Okay. And based on what I did in that fifteen k, I don't think I'm a huge way away from that. And you know, as you've just read out the the Daniel's predictor, one thirty one could be on the cards. Yeah. Well, um, you were inspired also by Kevin Liebethal. Yes, I was just going to mention Kevin. Run a PB. I can't remember what race it was. I think he was in the Run Melbourne half. Ah, uh, okay. And, uh, yeah, so more Brian's just walked away from this weekend inspired by everybody. <laughs> that, that's right. Yeah, Kevin ran and he ran 89 dead, I think, so 129. So he's he's basically at that level of my PB for the half. So I'm, I might give him a ring during the week and see if he's going to run the Burnley race because um, he would be a great person for me to run alongside because – being the marathon machine that he is, if he sets off at a pace, you'd be pretty confident that he's going to be able to maintain it for the uh, for the half. Mm, well, yeah, look, I'm excited for your half that's coming up. And, yeah, look, well done on the weekend. As I said it was a really great run and, and shows there are many, many ways to skin a cat, as they say, with training and approaches to racing. There certainly are. And, look, just from a general road racing perspective, like just same thing we always talk about, really important to watch your pacing and your effort levels early on. And, look, I was really doing it by effort level and because I've been doing all of that threshold running, I had a pretty good sense of how much effort I was putting in. I guess the thing that surprised me was how much faster I was running at the same kind of effort level than what I was doing in training. And I guess that's a function of getting onto the faster road surface, nice flat uh, terrain and also just the the extra boost that you get from being in a race environment with other people and I should mention for Ballarat that the weather conditions for Lake Wendoree were about as perfect as I've seen there um, there was a couple of spots where it was there's a tiny little bit of headwind but it was negligible compared to what 
for example, it was like last year and some previous times I've run around Lake Wendouree and there were sort of long stretches that were very well sheltered and felt really comfortable just to sort of get rolling along. So yeah, perfect conditions for good road racing on the weekend in Ballarat. Mm, well, the results did look pretty good, um, not just yours, but other people's mm. as well. So yeah, I'm going to have to get down there one year to run that event. Uh, I might just have to acclimatise. I don't know how I'll go. <laughs> you know, I complain about the cold as it is. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I just probably should get running first rather than planning <laughs> races right. that I'm going yep. to be doing. Exactly. You've got to get get things all sorted and back into the swing of things. Yeah, lucky we didn't have a challenge for this road racing cross-country season because you would have oh, won yeah. by default. <laughs> I know, I know. And look, I've still got to do my... Um, you sure do. Uh, you're done draping My penalty... <laughs> I do, I do. A friend of mine was reminding me about that the other day, so I will have to um, get onto that. So maybe that's something I can do between now and the uh, and the Burnley half. So leave leave that one with me. So why don't we use a bit of? We mentioned Zane Robinson last week. Why don't we have a bit of a chat about some of the things Zane said in his interview with Brad Beer, mm-hmm. and maybe that might also give us the chance to talk a little bit more about some of the things that I've been doing um, in training as well. What do you reckon? Yeah, sounds good to me. Okay, let's do that after this. So there's um, two two kind of big takeaways that I took from that interview and you might have some others, Lisa. Um, actually, no, I've got three. The first one is that Zane Robinson is a very intense, is <laughs> <laughs> a very intense individual, obviously with a lot of passion and motivation for his running, certainly a lot more intense and passionate than I have ever been or will ever be. Yes, that's probably um, why he's one of the best in the world too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, him and his twin brother, like relocating yourself to to Kenya when you're about eighteen to pursue your running goals, is a fairly major move and a, a sign of significant levels of um, dedication and motivation. So yeah, the, the intensity and the and the passion and the pain that came through in that interview was actually uh, quite interesting. I found, but I guess from a, just bringing it back to the the mere mortals. Uh, back of the mid-packers and others' perspective. I really liked what he said about his training routine or, in fact, even his non-routine yep. that he's been yep. I um, using. <laughs> I, I did. I did like that. And and I think he's even, like, changed some of his training partners and doing more stuff by himself so he can basically follow a, an approach when he basically waits until his body is telling him it is ready before he does the next harder effort. Yeah, look, I agree. And there was a really good example. He does have a very good Instagram and uh, I think he had scheduled, I, I can't remember the distance, but it was a long, hard run. But on that particular morning, he actually felt fantastic. So he said, I'm actually going to run longer than what I had prescribed. And yeah, like it just, some of those messages were, yeah, were, were excellent. I guess, you know, in a way that's kind of what I've been doing as well is um, just not being too prescriptive about when the next long run is going to be. And for me, as we've been talking about, the long run is a is a harder effort, is a session. So you have to be quite mindful about when that gets placed and having adequate recovery after it. And same goes for inserting other sessions 
um, either into the week or onto the weekend and just being really, really careful about not being a slave to any preconceptions that you might have had about what you were planning on doing mm. and being prepared to be flexible and adaptable. Yeah. I can't. Yeah. It's, go um, on. Years ago, I read Raylene Boyle's book, and I know that she's not a distance runner, and I'm sorry, I cannot remember the name of her coach, but she told this story of often when she was training, on the spot, her coach would make decisions. So she would, you know, be doing some reps and would, you know, run a particular time, and he would say, that's it, we're not doing anymore. And she Mm -hmm. said, you know, for a while it took her, she could never understand sort of the theory behind it, and her coach was saying, well, why do we need to replicate that again? You've just nailed it. It was perfect. Enough's enough for the day. And I always remember that line in in the book, an excellent book. And uh, again, it's just that whole, well, just because on a piece of paper you said do 10 200s and Mm. you've done five great ones, what are you going to get out of doing another five? Exactly. And uh, look, Brad Beer is hitting it out of the park at the moment with his podcast because he's got um, the sports scientist who conceived of this this whole notion of the the polarized training on the on one of the podcasts which I just had a bit of a listen to before but very much along those lines of being very careful to have adequate easy running and again yeah that's sort of something I've been trying to do is when I've been doing those easy runs those are really easy um, Mm. the paces between 530 and six minute kilometer pace and heart rates are usually like 130 so it's well below even my aerobic threshold for those kind of really easy runs and the harder ones they are hard but they're not ridiculously hard and yeah along the the lines of um, the guidance of uh, Dr. Phil Maftone, you know, maybe unless you're racing, it's not really necessary to push yourself kind of above 90% of your maximum heart rate mm. and just sort of keeping a little bit, little bit in the bank. And again, yeah, that's something that I've been doing in all of my training is, uh, definitely staying well away from the, the red zone and sort of keeping myself in, in a zone that would, yeah, max out at about 90% of. 90 to 92 maybe but not much at the not much at the 90 or above so for me heart rates doing those sort of thresholdy runs were you know I try and sort of start them uh, when I was doing those longer unbroken ones with heart rates sort of in the high sort of 140s low 150s and just try and feel comfortable in the in the 150 kind of mark and then just sort of n- dialing into a pace that I felt like I could hold for a long time. And basically what happens when you do that is your heart rate just sort of slowly climbs as it drifts during the session anyway. So by the time you get to the end of your 20 minutes or 40 minute um, threshold run, you probably find that if you've stuck to that kind of pace, that it will be sort of nudging up towards your sort of threshold limit anyway. So yeah, not a not a very stressful on the body way to train. Um, even though I've been doing some of that that work, it's yeah, it's nothing like going and smashing yourself for five by a k or something like that with with limited recovery, where you'd be well above ninety two percent heart rate for for a lot of that and take you a long time to recover. I just want to ask you a question about how you're determining mm-hmm. your heart rate here mm-hmm. are you doing the standard 220 minus your age or are you basing it off uh, when you do that 5k no. race yep. and and what your sort of max heart rate yep. came from there yeah i'm doing it off my max yeah basically i think i'm doing it off either 181 or 182 which is i think was what i recorded in one of those 5k maximal efforts and look i suspect that if i went and did a bunch of hill 
repetitions that I could probably get it up a tiny bit higher than that. But I, th- I think using using that number for me is uh, or seems to be working pretty well. And I think that Daniel's ranges for kind of threshold running are sort of like 88 to 92% of your heart rate max. Okay. Would I be right yep. there? But I'm quite happy, particularly for those longer threshold sessions to start them at lower and more in the kind of marathon pace heart mm-hmm. range. So I think sort of for me, you know, that means sort of starting them in the 140s and just sort of finding a comfortable pace and trying to find that pace where your heart rate is not climbing too quickly um, in the low 150s for me. Yeah, really good point. Mm. You know, do you do a threshold where you run as hard as you can to get the heart rate at around that number that it needs to be and then try and Mm. hold it or do what you're doing and gradually work up and then hold it for a majority of time within that threshold range. Yeah, I think that's a better way to go and it's definitely more race-like or um, conditioning you better for those kind of longer road races like the one I did on the weekend, the half marathon or the marathon because, you know, that's that's going to be what happens to you in the marathon is you'll try and maintain a pace and the longer it goes, the higher your heart rate's going to get mm-hmm. as, it, as it drifts up and you have to work harder to maintain the pace that you've selected. So it's good practice for that. And, yeah, when you're doing smaller bouts and I think the longest threshold, well, you, you know what, my race on the weekend was basically the longest threshold that I've done to date. Um, prior to that, I'd done a 40-minute unbroken threshold run, and I guess now I've done a 63-minute. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, admittedly, towards the end, uh, slightly above threshold, but for the vast majority of it, I was definitely in a zone that I would comfortably say was was below anaerobic threshold. I never actually got that sort of lactic feeling um, at any stage during the whole 15k which is what you want so, in a long yeah. a long distance race <laughs> exactly so yeah i'd be continuing to do this approach and we'll if i do do the burnley half marathon which hopefully i'll be able to basically follow the same kind of strategy of just finding a nice comfortable pace um, which i could think i can maintain with my heart rate not too high early on and then just maintain that and if you're still feeling good with 5k to go then start to work harder towards the finish line what else was i going to say the third Uh, kind of got off track from zane robertson (laughs) well that was the second thing but you had the third thing that uh you really got from zane and his interview uh yes he was talking about force production and to run faster you essentially have to hit the ground harder which for some people that notion uh would be a bit counterintuitive but you know it's I'm, I'm not a physicist but the laws of physics you know you get back what you put in so there's a lot of i guess coaching and technique methodologies out there which are very much sort of highlighting this idea of kind of landing softly and running softly and look if that's working for you that's fine i'm not being critical of stuff that work is working for people but by and large if you want to run faster you've got to put more force through the ground and I guess, you know, the difference between someone like Zane Robinson and me is not that we both don't put more force through the ground as we run faster, but he's just running a hell of a lot faster than than what I am. So I'm putting more force through the ground when I'm running 4.15 kilometre pace than when I am running at six minute kilometre pace. And obviously for him being able to pretty much run the marathon at three minute kilometre pace. He's obviously putting a lot more force through the ground at three minute K pace than he would be for his uh, whatever he does, his um, longer aerobic runs at, which I'm, I'm assuming is probably faster than my race pace. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
but yeah, you kind of can't escape that notion of if you want to run faster, you you have to be stronger and you have to put more force through the ground. So he kind of made that comment in reference to some of his strength and conditioning regimes that he was doing. And he also kind of talked about, you know, training his tendons to kind of accept load yeah. um, and which is, you know, that's the other reason why elite people are elite is they're obviously very good biomechanics and they're very effective at um, using that force, being able to store that force in tendons and then getting a lot of that back as relatively free-ish kind of energy. Whereas someone like me, biomechanics are nowhere near as good. I'm not getting as much benefit and stored energy as what as what they would. So yeah, I just found that found that interesting. Um, it was good that someone just sort of called out the fact that yes, you have to generate more force to run faster and not rely on thinking that you can just land softly and that will somehow lead to you running faster. Yeah, I'll add one more thing um, onto mm. onto that listing, and that was the whole notion of doesn't know how many kilometres he runs, doesn't mm. doesn't care, doesn't pay attention to the pace. And I think he made a comment on, you know, he, he loves to run, so he could easily run up to 500 kilometres a week, but um, <laughs> <laughs> doesn't, obviously. Yeah. And it's more around, well, how am I feeling today? And it really goes back to sort of that second point that you brought up around, well, an element of flexibility, how am I actually feeling, listening to the body, and really just ditching the whole, I need to run 15Ks today or 100 miles this week, and it's, you know, he runs to time, he runs over crazy terrain, and it's all going via effort levels, listening to his body and really just being very much in tune with that. And look, it's such, it's not a concept that's new. We've been talking about it quite a lot. Mm. But it's, I really find it quite refreshing that when the question was asked specifically on how many, you know, what's your weekly mileage? And he said, I don't know, I don't care. Yeah. And I just found that a really refreshing comment, actually, because mm. often, you know, it's not even just the elites that get caught up with that. It's, um, I think, runners in general being quite obsessive by nature. And we can r- rattle off, oh, I did 80Ks this week or 60Ks this week, or, you know, my average was X amount of Ks. It's really just arbitrary figures. They really are. And look, I, I think both he and his brother are relatively low mileage marathon runners from what I have heard over the years. But I, I, I think they've. I think they run a lot less than the standard sort of 160 to plus that that most of elite marathons would would probably run between 160 to 200 k's a week, and I reckon they run a lot less than 160. So it just demonstrates, yeah, there's lots of different ways to to get it done. Mm. And yeah, look, I've I've definitely lost my connection with worrying about how many k's I ran during any particular week at the moment, and I'm not sort of letting that drive my confidence levels as to what I can actually do both in terms of how far I can run and how fast I can run in in the races um, too much. So, you know, despite the fact that I've only been averaging about 40Ks a week, I don't let that stop me from going and doing a two-hour run, even though that's a significant percentage of the weekly mileage in, in any given week. So, yeah, I think previously I thought, you know, well, I have to kind of earn the right to go and do a two-hour run by running 70 or 80Ks a week. But, yeah, I've kind of like severed that connection and I must admit I'm a lot happier mm, for it. Yeah, you can become a bit of a slave to an arbitrary figure and mm. you know, when you've got so many other things going on in your life, you know, do you need that extra stress as well? You know, getting to Sunday thinking, oh, gosh, if I don't run 20Ks today, I haven't hit 80Ks for the week. Like mm. why? Like what is it going to achieve? 
And look, for me, it's probably almost the opposite as well because I've just been sort of thinking, well, if I run, if I accumulate 15 kilometres during the the week um, of three jogs, that's fine, but I'm not going to let that stop me from going and doing a two-hour run that's 22Ks on the weekend if i if i'm feeling good and uh yeah which is that that is actually a different notion to what i've had before where i thought you know really got to be careful of respecting those arbitrary limits that you've read about which sort of say you shouldn't do well your long run shouldn't be over a particular percentage of your weekly mileage and look you know it's probably what i'm doing at the moment is probably sort of extreme polarization (laughs) of training but it seems to be working so far yeah and look let's be honest you're probably in the majority here where there's not many elite athletes out there and you know most of us are just happy to be participating and fit and healthy so um Mm. having to stack everything into pretty much one or two days is is how we get things done but uh, anyway it was a really good podcast and really good interview so i will pop up the link i think Uh, we might have done it on last week's show notes but we'll do it again I think we'll pop that up again. And look, yeah, final note on that force production thing and just harking back to your comment about the Nike shoes, like I'm, I, look, I, I find them weird when I put them on as well and part of it is because they're just crazy stiff because of the plate that kind of runs through them and a bit like what I was saying about uh, at the pointy end um, elite runners storing, being able to store and release a lot of that kind of energy that they're producing, I kind of feel like that there's a lot more benefit there for the faster and better runners in those kind of plated Nike shoes and perhaps for uh, a back of the mid packer such as myself, but, but who knows, maybe, maybe I'm making a wrong assumption there. So I may challenge myself to uh, go and get a pair at once at once some stage and see if, see if they make any difference. Yeah. Well, you look, you love your shoes, but it's an interesting concept that I can't quite get my head around either because last year I got the Nike Pegasus. Uh, I don't know if you remember me talking about those and I I I did, I really tried them for, you know, basically until the the life of the, the shoe, but I just couldn't quite come to terms with not being able to feel the ground. And, and for someone who likes barefoot running, likes minimalist shoes and feels is pretty light over the ground, I, I felt quite lost at times running, being able to feel my way over the over mm. the surface. And, look, I know they're a different shoe to sort of the 4%. Is it a carbon plate that's yep. in these shoes? Um, yeah, carbon fiber. So yep. I'm sure that it's a different feeling, but I mentally I haven't got my head around losing that connection with the ground. So, um, mm. look, for me the verdict's still out and I actually haven't run in them, so I, <laughs> I'm not in a position to yep. comment one way or the other. So um, look, yep. maybe it's an experiment that uh, we both go and do and, and see what all the fuss is about. Indeed, um, and hopefully not break ourselves in the process. <laughs> well, I'm broken, and I'm on, <laughs> You're already I'm, broken. I'm on the yeah. path to recovery and redemption. Uh, very good. Well, I think we should wrap it. So this week for you, you're going to be taking it nice and quietly. Yeah, yeah, right? elliptical, easy, easy running. And actually, I've got a bit of an update on my heart. This will, this will be a quick one. I ah, good. Um, am seeing on Monday... Uh, I'm going to pronounce this incorrectly. It's like an electrical uh, cardiologist. I don't even think that's the right way mm-hmm. to pronounce it. Um, so have a referral and the GP that I was chatting to actually suggested something called a heart bug. Uh, I hadn't heard of mm-hmm. it before. I went and did a little bit of research and it's effectively like a little, um, oh, I don't know, like a little 
round thing that you attach to your chest, but you wear it mm-hmm. in your day-to-day life so you can actually monitor what your heart is doing uh, in all sorts of facets um, of your life. And you wear it for a month and you um, upload the data and then you can see sorts of things that are happening. So that's one suggestion if we can't get to the bottom of it uh, with my referral um, on Monday. So back into the investigative stage of what's going on. Um, and look, you know, I'm hoping that the actual outcome is nothing's wrong, you're a genetic freak, you have a ridiculously high heart rate, go forth and train hard. <laughs> yeah, I just, just can't see that making any <laughs> sense based on your description how you performed yeah. um, when your heart rate was lower yeah. and how, how bad you felt when your heart rate did spike up to those high Yeah, levels. and I think, you know, that's what my gut tells me too. And look, this GP, he was excellent because he did spend a lot of time, not so much looking at the data that I presented in front of him, but he was very inquisitive about how did I feel? And that was something that sort of made me go, ah, you know, this is a question that hadn't really come my way mm. and, and had been you know, dismissed in some sort of way of, oh, well, we're yeah. not really going to take that into account. And you know, I would like to think as someone who's always been quite physically active, I'm very in tune with how my body is feeling. Mm. Like I'm not someone that wants to be sickly and doesn't want to make these things up. You know, I genuinely want to be healthy. So, yeah. So anyway, back on back on that again. Um, I'd let it slide for a little while, but <laughs> back, on, back on it again. Yeah, we'd be very interested to hear what becomes of that uh and for me i've yeah i've just been having an easy week this week so just a few um a few easy jogs to recover did a bit of gym which was good uh took my sore legs into the gym and loaded them up and they felt better after that which was great and yeah i've got school starting again so some study on the weekend with following the flexible approach in the back of my mind i'm thinking I might feel like doing some kind of session on Saturday and maybe a fairly easy longish run on the Sunday. But yeah, as I've been doing, I'll I'll play that by ear and see what I feel like doing um, once I get to the day. Yeah, we'll keep up the uh, the non conventional, non planned approach. Yeah, that's good. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll try and forget about that uh, little relapse I had there where I started setting myself a goal. So. <laughs> yes, knock that out of your system. Uh, very good. Well, um, everyone out there, enjoy your goal-free running and I look forward to chatting to you next week. You have been listening to the Running Technique Tips podcast with Brian Martin and Lisa Biffin.